Welcome to Inside West Point, Ideas That Impact. I'm Brigadier General Shane Reeves, the Dean of the United States Military Academy at West Point. Through a series of discussions, we will show you a different side of West Point, where we will make even our most complex initiatives accessible to broad audiences and give you an inside view to our cross-disciplinary work, which is being applied throughout the world. This episode of Inside West Point features the impactful work from a member of West Point's Department of Mathematical Sciences, Colonel Nicholas Clark. Colonel Clark is a 2002 graduate of West Point. He is currently serving as an associate professor in the Department of Mathematical Sciences, where he teaches a number of courses including statistics, mathematical computation, and calculus too. Before returning to his alma mater as a professor, Nick earned a PhD in statistics from Iowa State University. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it. So let's t- tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. So uh, ironically enough, sir, when I first uh, entered West Point, I thought I was going to be a law major. No, <laughs> you threw your life away and went all into math. That, that's right. But I ended up being a, a math major. And I, when I was a cadet, I was doing as much theory as possible. I wanted to do kind of the most abstract. My first year research was in music and mathematics and how they blend together. And I graduated and I was a military intelligence officer and I was serving in 3rd Ranger Battalion. And we were about to go over to Iraq. And at that point in time, we were looking at where we should position forces. And we had all this data. And it just dawned on me we were making decisions based off of someone's feelings rather than the data that was sitting in front of us. So using what I had learned in my MA376 course, I just built out some simple regression models. I went and presented that at a symposium. And they said, well, no one's ever done that before. And if I really started to see it in my career that it was only the statistics I was using. I wasn't using any of the theoretic math. So when I had that choice to come back and teach here as a junior faculty member, they said, you can get a degree in anything you want as long as it's operations, research, or math. <laughs> and I said, well, what about statistics? I said, oh, yeah, maybe that too. So I ended up getting a master's in statistics and the rest is So we're going to go into some depth on, on data. You just said something fascinating, using data versus feelings. Yes, so sir. that's we'll come back to that. So what's your career been like since you know, since you did find this, this practical application for your math background and then you started to use it. How does that, what's your trajectory been? So after I went here as a junior faculty member, I left here. I was still a military intelligence officer. I went back to a special operations unit. They like to say that I was the only card-carrying statistician. So I sort of had a dual role of, of data analyst and statistician for that organization. And I really start to see, and, and this goes to some of the data literacy work that we're doing, I really started to see that over the years, and I think a lot of this was born out of the data that was collected in Iraq and Afghanistan, is our senior leaders were starting to say, hey, we need people that can analyze this better. So my job became less and less of the traditional military intelligence, more and more of the, hey, I've got this stuff that I've been collecting for a while. Can I do anything with it? Okay, so tell me a little bit about your center. Sure. The Center for Data Analysis and Statistics is a newer center at West Point. It's currently headed by Lieutenant Colonel Jim Starling. And really, as statistics and data analytics has grown, it's it's transitioned from being a center that initially was just designed to help researchers at West Point to being an outward-facing center, where the majority of the work they do now is in direct support of of Army priorities. They've got a strong latch up with SOCOM, for instance, as well as with DEVCOM and 
and some of the acquisition organizations as well. So right now, the center is doing a lot of work where they would go out and find projects that the Army is working on where our faculty and our cadets can potentially help on. They bring them back, work on year-long projects, AIDs going into their thesis, year-long thesis projects. Let me just ask you a few very, very basic questions. When we say data, what are we talking about? It seems like it's a, a simple question. It should have a, a simple answer, a straightforward answer. But really, data can take on a whole bunch of different forms. Traditionally, what we think about data is something that, that's in a spreadsheet, right? You have zeros and ones. You've got maybe ACFT scores. That's a very clear vision of data. But right now, for example, we have cadets and faculty that are working on image recognition, that are working on sound processing. All of that stuff, those, those inputs, anything that kind of inputs into a system, into an algorithm can be considered data. Now, for instance, we take sound and in its raw form, you might think, well, how is this data? Well, okay, maybe you got the frequencies, but can I also take the, the sound and visualize it? And then can I take how a computer would look at an image and turn that image into new knowledge? So data can be really, really broad and wide. And that's one of the things we really want to get from our cadets here is not only comfort working with traditional data sources, but comfort in those unknown situations where you're sitting in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden you've got a sensor that is giving you ELINT signals that look very, very different than anything you had in MA206 course. Can I take that and structure that in some way so I can actually learn something from it? And so what do you mean when you say someone needs to, young officers need to be data literate? What do, what do we mean by data literacy? It's a great question. And as, as you know, the idea of data literacy training has become huge in the Army. Really proud of the work that we're doing at West Point in, in helping educate the force with that. I like to kind of just paint an equivalence here. If, if I think about my data workforce, like my medical workforce, what I'm doing when I'm building out my applied statistics and data science majors is I'm sort of building out those this platoon medic. And I need one of those for every 40 soldiers. And, and maybe when I've had my junior faculty who have gotten a master's in data analytics or data science, that's, that might be my brigade surgeon. So I need one of those for you know, every brigade. Like when I was a young ranger, before I went out on the objective, and this is as an intel officer, I still need to go through that basic life-saving skills, that's combat lifesaver course. Data literacy is the idea that every single officer, every single soldier, before you get out and may potentially interact with data, let's give you those best practices so you can help enable that larger work data workforce to do their jobs. So tell me a little bit about the Data Literacy 101 course that you developed and why you developed it and, and, and how you see it helping the Army. As you're aware, we at West Point have operational experiences, which is sort of our idea of sabbaticals for our academy professors, where we can get back out to the force and, and provide some intellectual capital, as well as see what's going on out there and see what types of problems that are occurring out on, at the edge can be brought back to West Point. So I was on operational experience last year, serving as a chief data scientist inside one of our special operations units. And I sort of initially went there thinking I was going to do what our cadets are doing at Projects Day. I'm going to go and I'm going to type up some code. I'm going to build some projects. And I started doing that and until the Afghanistan withdrawal happened. When the Afghanistan withdrawal happened, what we found 
was the data that was being provided was really, really messy. And I had a, a number of folks who are working with me who are really talented data scientists, and they never actually got to the point where they were doing data analytics with it because they're spending all their time cleaning data. And we didn't really even understand what questions they uh, want. What do you mean by cleaning data? Sure. So, you know, we were talking about in the beginning the data can take on a lot of different forms. You know, sound can be considered data. I can't just take the, the words I'm being said and throw them into a regression model. I got to change them in some ways. So it's, it's that necessary pre-processing or working with data to get data into good formats so I can apply algorithms against them. And there was such a volume of data coming in from such the Afghanistan volume. withdrawal that you mm -hmm. couldn't even get to the analytics. There That's was right. still a cleansing. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I, I just asked the question, what training are we providing to the force? And there was sort of this idea, well, we got these Coursera courses, we got these data camp courses. And I said, okay, what's the completion rate of those? You kind of get this head down look where they don't really want to tell you that nobody was completing those courses because it wasn't, it wasn't relevant to the people that were taking them. And we were sort of saying, do this on your own time too. So I asked, can I, can I develop a course that gets at the fundamentals of reading data, working with data, analyzing it, and communicating effectively from it? So they said, sure. So I took a couple of weeks, came back to West Point, locked myself in, in an office. We came up with a 10-hour course for two and a half hour blocks focusing on those fundamentals. Not making people data scientists, not making people data analysts, but allowing maybe people that were sitting on the sideline, not thinking they were part of the data workforce, giving them some direction, some guidance as to here is your role in the data workforce. You need to ask good questions. You need to properly format data. You need to ensure you know the strengths and weaknesses of some of the algorithms that people are going to use for you. And most importantly, when we get the results, we need to know how to communicate this in the most effective way so we can actually create a change in our organization. And so that's what we did. And it, it really took off outside of even the, the organizations I was working with. Somebody at, at the Army Talent Management Task Force found out we were doing that and said, hey, would you mind if we send this out to the Army? I said, sure. And that became my job for the remainder of the OE is just traveling around giving the training to organizations in the Army. And now due to that success, I know that we have a course coming up, which will hopefully be able to help us export this, this course across the entire enterprise. How is, how is that going to happen? So one of the things I think we do well at West Point, and, and admittedly I'm biased, right? <laughs> but I think we educate well. And one of the reasons we educate well is we talk about pedagogy. We talk about how we teach. And we've got people that really are good instructors, and this course really works the best. Even, even if I kept the course how it was and, and Nick kept traveling around giving this training, it's going to get stale after a while. And what works for the 513th MI Brigade might not work for Theater Support Command. Different examples are just going to resonate differently. So said, let's, let's bring people here. And let's not just teach them data literacy. Let's, everything that we've learned in the classroom, let's give them those skills. And let's teach them how to put together a version of this course for their organization. Because now you can go and you can give this and give this on demand, but you can also have some staying power. You can look and start to analyze whether the, the work that I'm doing in that organization has actually moved the needle a little bit.
have I improved my overall data literacy for the organization? So the next thing we're going to give them over this 40-hour course is a framework for them to assess their unit's level of data literacy. So now you're able to deliver this training and you're able to both check yourself as well as perhaps we can build some relationships. We can travel around and, and we can evaluate each other. I know there's been a, a, a you know, voracious appetite to, to come to this course or yes. to have the course provided to them. But it's, it seems that there's, the gap typically is in implementation. So, so what challenges do you see in the, the course being implemented throughout the Army? And, and more broadly, what, what challenges does the Army face in creating a more data literate force? I think first is ensuring that this doesn't become just another training that you have to do. It can't be something that now is the data time, everything else is the non-data time. And we go and we get this and everybody falls asleep in the back of the class, but you get your annual data literacy refresher. That's not going to work for this. So I think the challenge is once we start to provide this, actually implementing it. And, and this to me is a command responsibility where if I've had my organization that goes through this and they start to brief me on something and I know because I've, I've got some level of data literacy, there should be some data and analytics tied to this. It's calling time out and saying, stop, let's put a pause on this. Let's go back because we have the time. Let's go back and collect that data and see how this process works. Let's get a couple of reps in. I think where we've seen units be successful in this is when there's command emphasis of it. And when those commanders start to enforce analytics on their organization, enforce when they come to me, it's the old Deming quote, in God we trust, all else bring data. (laughs) (laughs) Bring me the proof behind this. Now, you're hitting on an interesting point. You're saying that basically what's going to drive this is command emphasis. Have you found that senior officers are are resistant to 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 the application of data, or being are they flexible enough to start to move towards also becoming data centric and how they operate? I think at at the seniorest level, we're starting to see a lot of. I should say we're continuing to see a lot of encouraging signs. We've got organizations like like CENTCOM and an 18th Airborne Corps that are really driven by data hungry command organization. I'm sure there's there's other ones I'm I'm forgetting too. I think where where we need to continue to fill in the gulf is in that the, the junior senior command level where sometimes they hear the guidance and they don't really internalize quite yet how to implement it. And I think the more that we flood the system with people who are getting this training and as we were talking about before seeing the Tradox directive that data literacy starts to to be incorporated into the professional military education will only further to enhance this. So I think it's moving in that direction. I think with with anything, when we're talking culture change, because that's really what this is, it's not training, it's it's a change in culture. It's going to be a little bit slow and you're going to see sort of fits and starts. But as long as we keep focusing towards that direction, I think we'll get there as an organization. So what do you see as the future of data in the Army and the Department of Defense? I think it's just going to grow, sir. I think we're going to start to see more of a demand for data and analytics at at the senior leader level. We're going to start to see more organizations that realize they need to get with it or they're going to fall behind. 
I see the the growth of majors like the applied statistics data science major and and other majors that we have at West Point that focus on analytics is just being more and more popular. We always do need to keep an eye on exactly what you brought up before, though. It can't we can't let this pendulum swing so far that we completely discount any sort of experience, any sort of subject matter expertise, because that's what really makes this work. It's not just a bunch of us nerds who are sitting coding. It's a combination of having people that can speak the language of data with subject matter experts who can really contextualize and, and make this thing work. So why is, and you've, you've said it a little bit, but let me just ask you more pointedly, why is data literacy, in your estimation, so important for today's Army officer? I think, you know, more than anything else, where we sit right now as, as an army is that every single officer has that ability to interact with raw data. And we just said data is, is very broad as to what this means. But when you're out in the middle of, of nowhere and all of a sudden you have a sensor that was, you know, given to you from somebody from a high, higher headquarters, well, now whether you know this or not, you are part of the Army's data workforce. You are interacting with that data and you have to figure out what you can do at your level to triage this. It's not enough to just kind of take this and, and throw it over the fence and wait for somebody at a higher headquarters to, to analyze it for you, to send it back to that subject matter experts, those contracts that you've hired. Now, there are things we can do at that point of collect to really ensure that we've asked good data questions, that we've structured the data in a proper way, because it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's inundating us. And if we don't take advantage of that, we're going to miss opportunities. Would you agree that data isn't a, a panacea? It can't solve all problems. There are situations, particularly in combat, where the fog of war creeps in and, and we expect our officers and, and NCOs and soldiers to be able to adapt and adjust very quickly. And so what is the proper balance between relying on data and, and still relying on the art of leadership? Or in the, other way, in the other way to look at it is how do we ensure that commanders are not deferring responsibility for decisions by being over-reliant on data? It's, it's a wonderful question, sir. And I think it, it strikes at the heart of a, what a lot of people are struggling with. And, and one of the fears is, is we, we do take that pendulum and swing it too far the other way. I think the first thing we need to just be aware of is that it's not necessarily data-driven. Everything needs to be data-informed. So I, I like it better when I say it's data-informed decision-making rather than data-driven decision-making. And kind of coupled with that is the leader responsibility to understand the limitations and the strengths of the data that you have sitting in front of you. It's not enough to just rely on, on your your operations research analyst who's sitting at your headquarters who's got the training at this. At that leader level, if you don't understand, you know, again, to use the, use the example that's everywhere right now, chat GPT, if you don't understand the strengths and limitations of this algorithm and you just blindly use this, you are not truly part of that data literate workforce. So our listeners won't know this, and it's a congratulations, but it's also an indication of, of how far this has come. But you, along with your research partner, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Lee, received $100,000 from the National Science Foundation for statistics research yeah. on what? I don't want to give it away, sure. but go ahead and tell me. No, this is, this is, this is a lot of fun. It, 
was some joint work that we've been doing with Carnegie Mellon University, Pittsburgh, Baylor, Yale, and St. Lawrence University on how do we engage an undergraduate population in data science better than what we currently are doing. And specifically, we wanted to look at whether using sports statistics can help teach some of these lessons that perhaps, you know, I was just in the classroom and I was using engineering loads from a given week for some imaginary engineering system for the case study for the, the, the algorithm that we were using. Like, wouldn't it be so much more powerful if instead we were teaching based off of something the student actually cared about, some data that they actually are interested in? And I actually got into this because one of the faculty members at Yale used to be a faculty member here at West Point. I think that's one of the great things about our, our junior faculty. And this is a civilian who taught here for a number of years. I got to know him. He was my office mate. I went out and doing great things, Brian McDonald. And he and I worked together on esports analytics. So how do you learn more about video gaming? And so we kind of got to do a little bit of that. And he said, let's make this bigger. Let's look at all sports. So we're building out these modules right now where if you want to learn something about linear regression, you can go onto the website, you find a sports module. We have, these people know a lot of people. So we get some professional athletes, some people in sports industry who will open with a video as to why this concept's important for them. We teach them a little bit of stuff, give them some some environments that you can play around with the data where you don't have to code a lot, but you're getting those key skills that you need to learn through the lesson. And then you tie this back at the end, you get the video comes back again, you get people who, you know, who work as analysts for an NHL team who say, yeah, what you did is just is important because this is the exact type of stuff that we do. So we're working on building out these modules. I think we're we're ready to start rolling this out in the, the next year. We're going to have a website active and we're going to start to develop these. And then we're going to build a process in place where if you want to build one out and you say, hey, I really like broomball. I know you're a big broomball guy, sir. <laughs> and, and, and I want to teach something about linear regression. You contact us. We put you in, in contact with a sports professional who, who works in that discipline. We help you build this out and then we publish it. So it's widely available for everyone. And you found cadets are fired up about this? I, I, again, I think just like getting army applications in front of them, sports is a natural thing that cadets are just going to get fired up about. I can't help but think of Billy Bean and Moneyball huh? when you're uh, talking, right? They yes, use sir. the data yep. in trying to become competitive. Yeah. And there's obviously some close connections to using data to be competitive on the battlefield, That's too. Right. You find there's an increased demand from cadets to be involved in this, this field? Oh, absolutely, sir. In fact, the class of 26 just has our highest number of applied statistics and data science majors. We have 20 people that selected that as a major. And even the folks who aren't part of that major, more and more of them are doing research that focus really around data or algorithm development or kind of the computational math. Why do you believe cadets are demonstrating such you know interest in this particular field, whether it's data or applied statistics or, or what else? I think Right now, if you pick up a newspaper, for instance, chat GPTs everywhere. So we get examples of these algorithms that are out there. And, and a lot of our cadets want to go that next level beyond it. They say, well, okay, if this thing exists, I really want to know why this works. And the data science, the applied statistics and data science major was really designed to give people that mathematical statistical background. So it's not just how do you use an algorithm, but why 
this thing works? And in what cases can I trust this and should I not trust the output from it? So you found almost by accident the use of your math background and data in your time in the Army. It's led you into, into becoming one of the premier faculty members in, at West Point that is in this intersection between math and data. How has that driven what you have done here at West Point and how you're trying to prepare the next generation of, of young officers to be but not just data literate, literate but data-centric? I think one of the one of the things that's really been interesting over the last year or two years has been again the the real world projects that the army needs help with that our cadets and faculty are involved with and and what that really provides to the cadets is an an urgency in their research as well as that feedback from the force where they're presenting every single week hey here's what i found so it's not kind of a fire and forget. There are cadets and faculty right now that are doing actual data science work that is directly supporting our operations forward. And, and I think by having that that experience, by being able to demonstrate to the cadets that, hey, this isn't this isn't something that's sort of esoteric as much as I like to do central limit theorem proofs, that's not what this is. It's it's taking data and making a good decision from that data that you've got collected in front of you. You were instrumental in developing West Point's applied statistics and data science major. Why was this a priority for you? When you when yeah. and whether that was when you were a rotator, you recognized it, or when you came back as a as an academy professor. Where where did this become a priority, and why was it a priority? I think it was really around the time I was working on my PhD, and it was in the growth of data science when I started to see that what people were doing with data wasn't your traditional. You know, if you took MA206, I'm sure you've got your 206 book still sitting yep. on your shelf, Love sir. It. Yep. There's very much a, you take a hypothesis, you write out your null and alternative hypothesis and you test it. And that was fine for about 50 years in statistics, but really over the last decade, and I saw this at Iowa State, people were doing more computation. They were doing more non-traditional things. They were taking really interesting problems and trying to solve that. And a lot of this was due to the growth of just data in general. So as the growth of data grew up, what we were able to do with it changed and, and how we had to go about analyzing it changed. So as I saw that evolve at, at Iowa State, it really dawned on me that, yeah, there's this massive data workforce shortage right now that places like Iowa State and others are working to fill, but that exists in the Army too. And if we don't get ahead of this problem a little bit, we're just going to sit and have a whole bunch of ways to collect data, a whole bunch of sensors that are giving us more and more stuff. We're not actually going to do anything with it. So we kind of looked across the across the discipline and said really two things. One is there was a need. There, there was clear shortage of folks who could really communicate effectively from data, who knew how to how to answer interesting data questions, knew not only how to build on an algorithm, but why those algorithms work. But there was also this change in academia itself. And whereas data science kind of was birthed out of industry, it has taken on a new life form inside of academia. As you are aware, right now we're seeking a better accreditation for our, our applied statistics and data science program because there are now academic standards for the discipline. And that was an important thing for us to do. It's not just that there's a need, so we should do it, but let's make sure we do it right. 
And as folks like ABET and others came up with standards that allowed us to look at a curriculum and say, this, this works. What we're doing at West Point overlaps really nicely with how people say you should put together a program. So finally, for anyone that isn't mathematically inclined, but wants to be more data literate and isn't able to attend your course, what, what, what could someone do to, to self-develop? Yeah, great, great question, sir. I think until we get these modules up, you know, once those are up, I think those will serve as a, as a great starting point. If you're in the military, I encourage you to talk to people in your organization or go into the training. Outside of the military, there's some, some books I like. I'll do a quick plug for Jordan Morrow's book, Be Data Literate. He's actually going to come. The author, Jordan Morrow, is going to come to our Train the Trainer. He's going to talk to us a little bit. There's another book by Brent Dykes called Effective Data Storytelling. The more you can read gets you that foundation. And then at some point in time, though, the best way of learning this is to just get your hands dirty. Download our Python. It's, it's scary. The first couple of times you do it, you're going to fail. But you know what? Computation's cheap. It costs nothing. Just try something out. And, and the pain points that you feel will be your unique pain points, the things that aren't working for you. And you, you won't know that, though, until you've started collecting some data and start actually trying to, to work through some project. Well, thanks. Thanks, Nick. Let me go off subject a little sure. bit. And let me just ask you a few other questions. Okay. So what do, you, what do you like best about teaching at West Point? the cadets 100 like the year that i was gone that energy in the classroom that thing that motivates me every day to to get up and and get out of bed and get to work was was sort of gone I, like i was a little bit depressed over that year <laughs> but in that classroom when you, you get to interact with them like that's fantastic and i think the other thing that i've really enjoyed is as you transition to be more senior officer, your, your jobs transition, and really getting to learn how to be in charge of a program, how to build this out, how to do an assessment to ensure that we're continuing to to teach what should be taught, and and figuring out how do we nest with other academic institutions, how do we build out those networks has really been a lot of fun. What's the biggest difference you'd say between cadets? when you were a cadet and cadets now? Well, the core hats, obviously, sir. But, <laughs> you know, I think you, you talk to folks and there's, there's like, oh, they're way better now than... They, no, we were good back then. We were good back then. I, I think that's actually one of the strengths of West Point is, is we continue to bring in high-quality people and it hasn't changed as much as we all make it out to be. And on the surface, they can program better. They They can do analytics better. They can do theory a little bit worse. Like there, there's just sort of this trade-off that's going to happen as, as society changes. But the, the core person that signs up and says, yeah, I'm going to leave at the age of 18 and go serve my country. Is, it's the same. It's yeah, the same. It's, it's inspiring. Yes, sir. Hey, how many digits can you recite in Pi? 24. Prove it. 3.14159265358979323846264. It feels like more than 20. 24, I think. Oh, it was 24? And that my was... teacher used to have these up in my, my junior year calculus class, and I would just get bored and I would just sit and memorize it. You have very different ways of, of overcoming boredom than <laughs> I do. So thanks, Nick, for being yes, on I here. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Really appreciate Thank it. Thanks, man. 
Please be sure to tune in to the Inside West Point Ideas That Impact podcast next month. Remember, you can find this podcast as well as the other podcast, journals, and books hosted or published by the West Point Press at westpointpress.com. Until next time.